This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hello and welcome to the Noise Careers Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Cannon, and this podcast is now a part of the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, which we're really excited about. Today, I have a very special guest. His name is Sean O'Keefe. Sean is a Chicago-based producer who you may know from his work with Fallout Boy, Plain White Tees, Hawthorne Heights, Real Friends, Motion City Soundtrack, Less Than Jake, all sorts of groups, Punchline, Spittlefield. In this episode, we go into a lot of fun things. I think Sean's really, really insightful, and he goes into some really great details on some of the classic records he's done, and I think he really provides an interesting, interesting look into his outlook on how he's made some really great records uh, up against really big odds and budget constraints. After you listen to this episode, I encourage you to head over to Sean's profile, give his Spotify playlist a listen, read his bio, check out his discography, and get to know him a little bit better. Before we get to it, I'm going to remind you again, my new book, Processing Creativity, all about how the creative process and how you avoid the pitfalls that ruin songs, is out now on audiobook, ebook, and physical book. However you prefer, I encourage you to check it out. It's getting really good reviews, and I want them to keep coming. Thank you so much. Here's Sean. One second before we get started with this interview. Noise Creators is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service, and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people. So if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that you share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out. If you like this and like what we're doing, Share it, tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, tumble it, whatever you like to do, do that. As well, we're going to start doing a really cool thing. If there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy, put it on a graphic, tweet it, Facebook it, take a picture of it, and send it to us at Noise Creators on every single one of the social networks. And what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones, and if you're one of the best ones... We're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list, and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out, and please, please, please help us spread the word on our service. Thanks. So what are you using to record your voice today? It's a Lewitt. Uh, 640. That, that's the first time on this podcast I've ever not heard of the mic. Oh, no way. Nice. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, you could see if you think it sounds good. <laughs> nice, nice. So tell me about your background in music. Probably like most people, you know, I was I was in bands as a kid. You know, I, I played drums. Uh, I was in a bunch of like, you know, kind of punk bands in high school and a ska band. Yeah, and, and honestly, I mean, you know, from there it was just uh, n- nothing super formal. Um, some like a little, actually, no drum lessons, a couple like, you know, music lessons here and there. But um, generally speaking, it was just, you know, 
a casual thing with my friends and um along the way I got you know really interested in recording and it it kind of just had a, a natural transition into recording pretty quickly but, but yeah you know nothing nothing too crazy just kind of playing in bands you know so tell me about that transition into recording uh, what does that look like a little bit more zoomed in it was I guess like uh in the very beginning, I, I remember somewhere in high school, like, I forget what it was, but some, something got me really interested. Well, for one thing, you know, like once once I could start driving and I could listen to music in the car, it kind of changed my my world, like everybody probably, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and I couldn't, me and my friends and I, I couldn't get enough of driving around listening to records. And that's, I would say that's when my interest in music went from like, I really like music to like, I'm obsessed with music and obsessed with records. And yeah, and I guess somewhere along the way it was, you know, like, how does this all happen? And I think for, I think it was like my 17th birthday gift or something. I begged my mom to, to have my, my band go into like a, you know, what a recording studio. And it was in this guy's basement. It was like local in town and make a record for, you know, a weekend or whatever. And I loved it. Um, yeah, I, I really took to it. I was super interested. And, and yeah, from there, it was just like, I think I was pretty focused on, on wanting to do that after high school it was a matter of, you know, college, uh, what I was going to do in college. And, you know, my dad wanted me to go to college. I didn't, really didn't want to do it. I just wanted to be recording. I went, we kind of like, I don't know if it was a compromise, but I went to a local college that had like a recording program um, and kind of got into that. But honestly, after like, uh, like maybe five weeks in, I hated it. And I, I, I was I was never one for school. Yeah, I'm kind of trying to give the Cliff Notes version. But you know, I, I, I dropped out. But I did tell myself, I was like, well, if I'm gonna do this, I, I need to, you know, I needed to get an internship at a real studio. And so I, I kind of did that. And it took some time, you know, like just calling around and stuff like that. But yeah, and I guess like, this is kind of a, <laughs> maybe a hazy version of the story. But like, throughout that whole time, I was living, uh, I was living in like, <laughs> Instead of like an apartment, like um, I, my dad was like uh, willing to help with like rent, uh, like for an apartment while, while I was apparently in college, even though I dropped out. And instead of, instead of renting an apartment, I rented an office in an office building because I knew that every, it was only two offices and the other people went home after five o'clock at night. And so I, I was able to make noise from 5 p.m. on and all weekend. So I set up like my little recording studio in my like office that was my huh. apartment that I eventually, I got kicked out of by the fire marshal like two years later. Huh. Um, and, but anyway, so yeah, I guess your question was transition. It, so that was the whole well, thing. That's all really interesting stuff. So feel, feel free to keep <laughs> yeah. going. Yeah. So, I mean, I was playing in bands throughout that whole time and, um, you know, uh, I was delivering pizzas uh, to help pay the bills, and then when my dad found out when I didn't have my report card at my first semester, he cut me off uh, financially, and so that's when I was like, I really need to do this, and I put out like an ad in the local newspaper, and I, I got some people asking me to record. Meanwhile, I was recording friends of mine, and um, I was just that guy, you know, the recording guy, and yeah, and, and some of my friends... Uh, were that I would play in bands with all the time had this band called knockout and um and anyway so I you know I, I continued to do stuff and 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 then it kind of got real from there um I'm not sure how how far I should go with it yeah, you know, feel, feel, feel free to keep going a little bit more 
Okay, yeah. So, yeah, it really transitioned. That, that was kind of a big turning point for me. Uh, at this point, I was probably 21 years old. I had been interning at a real studio downtown one day a week, which I I loved. Um, I had my, like, studio in my office apartment, <laughs> and I was recording, you know, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and then my, my friend Jeff Warren was in this band called Knockout, and he, you know, he was like, you, you know, do you want to do this, and you want to make some recordings, or it might have even been me. It was like, we should make some recordings. And, and he, they were into it. And I was at that point, I was really inspired by, you know, being downtown and like the real studio and seeing like the owner who was a real producer and like, you know, making records. And I was like, let's do this for real. Like, let, let's make something that we think is like kick ass. And, you know, they were on board. And so we, we did a couple of songs and we finished and, and we did some of it at the studio downtown and we did most of it in my apartment. And, and the band sent them out, I guess, just to like record labels. I had no part of it. And they came back to me like three months later and were like, hey, we, we got an offer for a record deal by this record company, Fearless Records. Um, and I was like, awesome. That, you know, to me, that was like winning the lottery. And they were like, uh, we're going to see if you can do the record, too. We want you to do it. And I was like, man, yeah, that's great. Of course. And, you know, got super pumped and I in the guy the owner of the label called and he's like yeah I, I love these demos let's have you do the record and and so that was a big turning point that was that was my first record for a record label um that I did after that so I, I feel like at that point I was fully transitioned into making records you know so obviously you get kicked out of this office space which I have to say that's the first time I've ever heard anybody do that the second you said that, I'm like wow that makes so much sense it's amazing more people don't do that <laughs> Tell me about how you get to the studio you have today. Oh, geez. Well, that, that's, <laughs> that's quite a journey. <laughs> 15 years later, honestly, it's really just been, it's been a similar thing for the last 15 years. I mean, when I, when I started the whole thing, people would always ask me like, you know, did you ever, is your goal to have like own a badass recording studio or whatever? And I, I would always say no, like I don't. I never really had an interest in owning a studio. I mean, other than the convenience and certain things like that. But um, I, I I love going to studios. I love you know making records. I don't I don't really want anything to do with like taking care of a studio and all that shit. Like for me, it's just like it's more of a pain in the ass than anything. And so um, and luckily when I started, I, you know the like the business really embraced like the freelance engineer kind of lifestyle or work style. And so I did that probably for the first like five or six or seven years. I always, I've always had like a little setup somewhere. Um, but, but generally speaking, I was lucky, you know, I got to go into some pretty nice recording studios and work. And I mean, man, who doesn't love that? It's like, you know, you, you, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and things have changed and, and we can't, or at least I can't be doing that uh, all the time anymore, but but it's always been natural for me to jump around from studio to studio. And I, so I guess you were asking how, how I got to my studio I have now. I, the studio I have now is, it doesn't belong to me. It's a friend of mine. He, he owns it. He rarely uses it, you know, like pretty much never. Uh, he has other businesses he got into. And yeah, it's four blocks from my house. And it oh, was nice. one of those situations. Yeah. I mean, and it's so it's like, man, a friend of mine owns it. It's a... It's a great place for like overdubs and mixing. It's a built studio. And uh, yeah, but I, you know, it's not mine. I just, I rent it and I kind of still consider it the same as it's always been where I'm kind of like, 
like just I track when I track drums and like, you know, when I need a big room, I use studios downtown in Chicago all the time. I was at Electrical Audio last week uh, nice. for a few days. Yeah, that that's like my favorite place in Chicago. I uh, understood. It's one of the one of the best. Man, yeah, right. I mean, it's who wouldn't love it? And um, yeah, so I I do jump around still. So I guess I guess that's kind of how I, you know how I got here. I suppose. <laughs> Very cool. So can you tell us a little bit more about that studio today? Something that makes it unique? I have a bunch of you know one of a kind you know. Uh, you know, guitar amps or snare drums or cymbals, things of that nature that are like one-offs that I suppose that I I leave here, you know. So uh, so are those things that you had customly built? No, not necessarily, but but they were custom built usually for somebody else. And then I bought them. (laughs) One that I love is this snare drum. It's a, a Dunnett snare drum, but it was made for Ross. I forget his last name. It's the owner of the company, the Drum Doctors. Oh, Garfield, um, Ross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ross Garfield, yeah. And it's engraved to Ross from the owner of Dunnett. It was a custom-made drum for him for the Drum Doctors. Wow. And yeah, right? And then like one of his, one producer in L.A. fell in love with it and you know reserved it on most of his drum sessions for like 10 years from, from Ross. And then eventually he bought it from Ross, and then he sold it to somebody, and then I bought it from that guy. And huh. <laughs> uh, and man, the thing is killer. I mean, I use it all the time, and it's you know it's a great snare drum. So I'm lucky to have it. That's rad. Yeah, he he is amazing. I, I've gotten to work with him once or twice, and I was always is that right? Yeah, like when I was out in L.A., it was, uh, you know, unbelievable talent. And, you know, however many years it is now, 17 years, I'm still using things I learned from those like two days uh, from him. So that's awesome. Oh, man, I'm jealous. That sounds awesome. So tell me what instruments you play. Well, yeah, drums. Drums is, is the main instrument I play. Really, the only instrument I would feel confident saying I play, you know, and I can I'm like probably most other recording guys. I can fake my way through a, you know, guitar and a bass and a piano. But um, but yeah, drums is the only instrument I've, I've really ever played like in bands and like, you know, on records is real parts, you know. Nice. So we have a saying on the podcast, like on one side of the spectrum, there's the Steve Albini that like is not going to mess with your songs, going to just maybe he'll make a comment on your take. And then you have a John Feldman who like fully rewrites your songs when you get there. Um, where do you see yourself most often on that spectrum when you record bands? I'm not a songwriter, so I, I've never written a song with a band. Um, it's just not my thing. Um, but but yeah, but I do get I definitely do uh, get pretty involved with the like um, with their writing. You know, like like let me uh, here's one example that would be probably more. So on like the side of like is as involved as I've as I've ever gotten with songwriting, not being a songwriter. And it's it's probably a good example because it's with Fall Out Boy and, and, you know, a lot of people know that band. But and I don't think Patrick would mind me saying this, but, you know, when we made the Fall Out Boy record, <laughs> it was done in like like three like three chunks, like without going through the entire thing. Basically, we did three songs first that were demos. And, and we, you know, they had those songs written and taken care of for the most part. I kind of, you know, I would help them with arrangements and, you know, smaller things. And, but they had been working on those hard and they were in good shape and we went and recorded them done. And then, and then they got, you know, offers to, you know, some offers for like a record deal or whatever. And, and, but most of the record companies said, we want to hear two more. And so we went back and we did two more, but at that point, Patrick, had he had songs but definitely were less fleshed out and flushed out but so at that point 
I went in with the band and we, you know, we really worked through like, you know, digging deep into like, you know, parts and arrangements and what, what was working and what wasn't. Okay. So that was for the next two songs. And, you know, we did that. And then where I'm getting to is then they got signed and they were going to make a record. We, we were going to make the record. And, but the, the deal was that the record company of, you know, of course they, they booked the time to, you know, to make the record. And then immediately after they booked tours for the band because they wanted to get things moving. And so Patrick came to me as soon as they, you know, they'd signed the deal or whatever. And we were like, I think like six weeks out from making the record. And he was like, man, I'm freaking out. I don't, I don't have it written. Like, I just don't have it. I don't know what to tell anybody, but this is like killing. And, and Pat, I mean, anybody who knows Patrick, he's like, this guy's awesome. He, he's the real deal. He's, he's a sweetheart and, and, and he's just a, he's, you know, he's just a musical guy, but, but yeah, he was like, I don't know what to tell you. I don't have it. And, and I don't have any time. And I remember, you know, I was like, all right, well, what, what do you have? And he's like, I got a, you know, I got ideas. Uh, and I said, okay, why don't you come over to my studio with acoustic guitar and, and give me all your ideas. And, and he literally came over and, you know, I put up one microphone and he had like, we're talking like between like a chorus, a verse, sometimes just a melody over like a chord change, like 10 seconds, maybe maybe 30 seconds at the most. And I think we recorded 35 of those ideas or maybe 40. Like, uh, and we put them on a CD, you know, back in those days. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go through <laughs> all of these and you do the same thing. We're, we're going to compare notes. We're going to narrow this down. And we did. And I went through all of them. And I went back and I was like, all right, like, you know, get rid of these. I think that can work with that. Let's try that. And him and Andy, the drummer and I, and the, the band too, but, you know, mostly us, like at least getting the songs going and the ideas, we spent a month in a warehouse, like my friend's warehouse with like a little Pro Tools rig and two microphones. And I was just a, you know, I was just like a, a bouncing board for Patrick and like uh, for his ideas, but watched him formulate these ideas. And a lot, I think I, I still have that CD somewhere. And it's funny because I think like one clip is like the melody of a chorus. And then another clip 15 tracks later is the verse in a different key and, you know, in a different tempo, but they went together eventually. Yeah. And so I guess to answer your question, like <laughs> that would be me getting involved, but still not considering myself a songwriter, you know? Yeah. Or that sounds like a pr producer. Yeah, totally. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and then when a band, when a record, when a band comes in with a record that's like written and like, and fully done and realized I don't do anything, you know, it's yep. like, or maybe a little bit, but like, yeah. And I'm down for either one. It, it doesn't really matter as, as long as someone's like excited about what they have. I like that. What do you think you bring to records most often? Passion. Mm. Yeah. Can, can you go <laughs> a little deeper on that? Yeah. I just think, I think I, you know, I think. I feel lucky about that, that it's like an automatic switch that gets turned on with me. And um, if I'm if I'm working on a record, it's I think it's, you know, like I think like probably most people in our position, like it's pretty impossible for me not to just be a totally passionate about it. Like, I, I, you know, it's like it becomes like while it's not your record, it's maybe it's like a pride thing or something like that. But it's like, I don't know, I just want to make it as good as it you know possibly can be. And yeah, I, th I think I feel pretty comfortable saying that just about everything I've ever done, like, um, I, I bring that to it just because it's, um, you know, just, na you know, nature or whatever. But, um, and, you know, and then there are obviously more specific things if that's more appropriate to answer like that. <laughs> no, totally. I think that's a great answer. What's a common mistake you see bands do before getting to the studio? Yeah, not being prepared. 
Mm. That's easily it. I mean, pre- preparation is is key, and and that can be in that can be in the form of not knowing their parts, uh, not knowing their role in the band. It's it's so tricky because every band obviously is different. But like you know, some guys come and don't have lyrics done, and that's fine. Like if they're good at writing lyrics, like under pressure, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, but if they're not, then like then that sucks, and it's like that's um, I think I think that's a, a big mistake, you know. It, it almost seems, I don't know that I've ever been in a situation where I was like, where a band was too prepared, you know, or it's like, <laughs> you're so prepared, this is like messing anything up, you know, it's like. Well, it, it, it's funny because some people say that their problem with the too much preparation is that they've lost the objectivity to hear songs differently in the studio, which yeah. is always fine if the songs are right. But if they need to get, if there's a crucial flaw that everybody can see but them because they're deboitis, then it can be a real problem. Yeah, that's, that's tricky. That, that's tricky. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, because like obviously spontaneity is key, but you know, I don't know if it happens with you, but I, I was saying this to a producer friend of mine. It always seems to be with bands. I don't know why, but it's like if, if they are prepared with most things, the two things that they're not is background vocals, <laughs> like mm-hmm. harmonies, and then what they consider like synth parts for some reason. The, if synths aren't a big part of their band. It's yes. like, I think it seems like a lot of bands just think those things happen on the spot and I, and they can, but harmonies is like totally, like when you hear great harmony, when I, the great harmonies I know on, on records that I've worked on or I know about, I generally speaking, I they usually are like either worked out in advance because those can be difficult to write, I think, mm-hmm. um, or 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 whoever is doing them really has a gift for like doing that on the spot, which is which is rare, I think. But it usually isn't like we haven't done this before, and then like all of a sudden it's just going to be awesome or something like that. <laughs> I am totally with you. And then those records, it's like you you know them because it's like oh well, cool. There's a major third on every chorus and a low octave on yeah. the ones where that didn't work. Yeah, yeah. It gets a little yeah, a little streamlined. How about a smart thing you see bands do during the recording process? Yeah, well, <laughs> I guess it would be the opposite, but yeah, being prepared <laughs> would be the easiest answer I could come up with. But there's a lot of there's a lot of different like ways to do that. Man, I love when I see bands like, you know, when I'm in the middle of making a record and, you know, say we're tracking guitars or vocals or whatever, I love it when I see like another band member, maybe he's asked for like a a quick rough mix of a song or whatever. And he's, he's off in the corner in the lounge with his headphones and coming up with another idea or another part, you know, Mm -hmm. I love that. I like it. Not only is it like inspiring, um, to, to me, but it just like, man, I think, yeah, I think to the whole atmosphere, it's great. Like when you have people creating in, in literally all like corners of the room, that's a great energy. Yeah. I, I love it when bands do that. I think it's great. Just participating when they can, you know. Agreed. So what happens when you and a band disagree about something? <laughs> yeah, good question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. I guess it depends on what we're disagreeing about. Ultimately, it's it's their record, obviously. You know, at the end of the day, I don't it's not my place to tell somebody what to do on their record. Uh, so I I I do I would I would you know, back down if I, if they were really adamant about something, even if I disagreed, I mean, you know, who gives a shit? It's like, it's, it's their name on the record. But having said that, like, if somebody's making a decision in the studio that 
for the wrong reasons that I that I'm confident they're going to regret later. Like, you know how it goes. Like sometimes somebody will make a decision because like at that moment they like it's just like not to hurt their pride or their ego. And it's like you know that they actually don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. They're doing it anyway. And so at that point, if I know that they're going to regret it later and they really don't want it, I'll go, you know, I'll strongly strongly suggest and urge that they don't do that. And and I'll absolutely voice my opinion. And I mean, I can't say that it's hard to think of a time ever that I've I've ever said that and they've said, no, fuck you or something like that, because, you know, they hire you for your your opinion, I think. Yeah. So I try and I try and I guess decide if it's like if it really is hurting the record or if it's just something I don't agree with. But I don't I think it's totally still a good decision for them. You know, if that makes sense. Nice. I think you make a good distinction here. Is it's it's not always about you n- disagreeing about it. It's more like, oh, this is not a good decision. It seems like it's that's being made properly. It's protecting someone's ego, or it's like being made not about what puts the music first. Yeah, a- absolutely. And like, and and to get like like specific with that, uh, or a little more specific, it's like, you know, I feel like one one of the biggest parts of my job during the like the recording process and production process is like i always say like a like a idea like editor essentially mm-hmm. like, and and i think that's something that we learn as making records like you know when when someone's playing a part for instance and and you know and i i can just tell you know it's like that's that's not doing the song any favors like that's it's actually just hurting things like it's it's gonna it's not making sense and and definitely when everything's in there like it's just subtracting from like what you're trying to get out of the speakers and so if it's something like that then yeah it's like yeah man you, you really like you just shouldn't do it you know no big deal who cares like it, you're you're still like in you're all on the same team or whatever but but if it's like an idea that's like i think that's cheesy but it still totally holds up and works you know it's like that i, I think that's like a dumb idea but like mm-hmm. it's totally not getting in the way of the song yeah go for it you know whatever who gives a shit what i think you know mm-hmm. uh, at that point <laughs> yeah well that's you putting your ego aside so with yeah. that let's go into how you feel about some modern production tools. Do amp simulators dash reamping have a role in your productions? I don't think so. I, I, I'm totally open to it, but yeah, honestly, I, I can't think of any record. Let me be more specific. I don't think I've ever used one to like replace a guitar amp. Um, mm-hmm. I've used, like I use them all the time for like different effects and stuff like that. I just haven't been in that situation, but man, I'm I'm totally into it. Like I I got nothing against it, that's for sure. <laughs> Whatever it sounds good, you know. How about MIDI dash sampled drums in your productions? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, well, like sample <laughs> MIDI drums, I've never done or been asked to do. Like you mean a drummer like playing like a what like a drum like well a lot of people now like are that? you know doing that thing like where they write the drums in like a. Uh, slate or a uh superior drummer mm. and they just write they use all just the drums they wrote in midi on an acoustic kit mm, that, right that, yeah okay that's that's becoming pretty prevalent these days it seems like totally yeah I've, i i know i've heard certainly that that's a like a common thing man honestly i i haven't encountered it um mm. yeah it hasn't come up um one time somebody sent me something like from I think it was from Japan to mix and it was MIDI drum it was just MIDI notes mm. and like it was it was like MIDI notes and guitar DIs and they were like can you mix this and <laughs> I had no idea what to do with it wow yeah and I just didn't do it it, it wasn't like it's just not a project for me yeah but um yeah how about do you master your own records no 
Thankfully, no. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've mastered like, yeah, like maybe two things. I think only one of them I did, but it was uh, it was a record I did for somebody uh, and like it was a really specific situation. Four years later, they decided to release it and, and I mastered it um, for a friend. That was recent, but no, man, honestly, at all at all costs, I will try not to do it um, just because it's like, man, by the time you're done, uh, <laughs> I need somebody else to do that. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I just need somebody else to put that stamp, even if like the whole thing is fine. Or I did, uh, even if I could do the same job as somebody else, which I probably couldn't, but like, yeah, I just, I need, it's like that confidence from somebody else being like, yep, it's done. <laughs> you know, yep. you are done. Like, all right, cool. Yeah. It'd be hard to master my own records. How long on average do you like to take to record a song? And then how long on average does it take to mix a song? Mixing's easier. I'll answer that one first. The mixing, uh, usually is about, um, you know, one to two songs in a day, uh, type of thing. If yeah, somewhere in there, you know, uh, mm-hmm. depending if, if somebody sends me a mix and, and I didn't do it, it probably takes more closer to a day. And if it's me, if it's a part of a record, I, you know, a couple in a day is fine. But, and then yeah, tracking. Yeah. Well, like in terms of a record, usually records like two weeks to four weeks to track a record, um, depending on, kind of what they're doing and like a song it's pretty rare i do just one song mm-hmm. but yeah maybe a couple of days i guess for us if i was just going to do one song maybe a couple of days to track it totally okay so let's get into something i don't usually do this podcast but i always heard a rumor that you stopped producing for a while because you had such a hard time doing the hawthorne heights record is there any truth to that <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> that's great. I, there are there are a lot. I hear that's I've never heard that, uh, which is why I'm laughing. That's funny. And I've heard a lot of like rumors about that Hawthorne Heights record come back at me, most of which are not true. But that one is definitely not true. With that record, uh, I did stop producing directly after that record, but it had nothing to do with that band. I I decided um, like backing up. When I made the Fall Out Boy record, you know that it, like that band got a lot of attention. Of yeah, course, and, like, I'll and say. did really uh, yeah, of course, right? They did really well, and I and I was lucky enough to be a part of that. And like and by being a part of that, what it meant was, you know, I think I was like what twenty two years old or something, and I was new into like doing this. I mean, relatively speaking, and uh, and I was as excited as could be, and I and. And once that record happened, like like similar record companies to Fall Out Boy's company at the time would call, including Fall Out Boy's label, and ask me to make records. And of course, it was like, yes, yes, yes. And I think for about a year or two straight, I just made records. And I remember it was like, there were multiple ones where I can think of two right off the bat where like Fall Out Boy is a good example. I finished the Fall Out Boy record. Literally the next day I started a record for a band called Spittlefield. And, oh yeah, that was a great and, record. And we, yeah, yeah, I, I like that record too, man. Like um, the, it was back to back. And, you know, I did after those two records, it was it was like boom, 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 record, record, record. And that was amazing. But man, it wore me out. There, there was another time where I did a record. <laughs> I did a record uh, and on the last day of mixing it, I remember um, we mixed through the night. I finished, I printed like the last mix at one studio at like 9 a.m. And the next band I was working with was in town from Detroit. And we started at noon at another studio. And I went from one studio to the next studio on day one with like no, literally no sleep. Oh. <laughs> it was nuts. 
It was nuts. I mean, it was amazing, and I wouldn't change it for the world, but it was nuts. So anyway, the point was Hawthorne, it was just, Hawthorne was at the end of that, like, um, that record streak, like, of, like, a year and a half or something like that. And also, the record I made before Hawthorne was this band called This Is Me Smiling, and I mm-hmm. fell in love with that band and, and those guys, and, and they're my best friends to this day. Um and we were kind of talking and I was like, man, I'd, I'd love to play drums in this band. And, and they were like, yeah, if you want to do it. So I had already made the decision. I was like, you know what? After Hawthorne, I'm going to stop producing and I'm going to be in a band, man. I just I want to go on the road. I want to have some fun. I want to play and I'm going to I'm going to stop making records. So, yeah, it, it had nothing to do with that. It was That's determined funny. before I even started that. <laughs> That's it's funny, because now like you're saying this, I'm like, man, I even heard that from a band that toured with them a lot. So that's so funny how bad the telephone game gets with these things. And like, <laughs> yeah, um, it, but, it is funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you made a really interesting point in here that like I often say, like when I speak at like a recording college is like, I'm like, so I want you to understand, like, this is what you're looking forward to. If you're successful, you're going to finish printing the mix of a band not sleep and start another one. And it was the same thing like that era, like when my career was really, really insane and before I established borders, it's like, I do the same thing. And while it's fun in hindsight, I mean, I, there was times at the time I'd be so tired. I'd be like, well, if I get in a car accident, I'd sleep a while. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it's like i like that you you, you know you're you're so deprived that you're just like oh well at least a tragedy would give me a break it's a blessing that's great (laughs) that's true that's huge game-changing success so i thought it was always a funny thing of like man like if you stopped right after that but hearing that it was more that you wanted to pursue music uh is also a nice thing because you obviously had a great passion towards it. It was a funny time. And, um, you know, at that time, uh, admittedly, it, you know, that was when, you know, I was in the swing of things and um, I was brand new to the entire music business. That that was like in my eyes, it was like, this is going to be life forever. You know, I was like mm-hmm. young and dumb and it was like awesome. And maybe like stopping like. Like and joining a band is probably not like the best like career move or something yeah, yeah, like totally. that. Like, <laughs> but you know, at that point, it's you're just kind of going on whatever, you know. And it's like, yeah, it's it's just fun, and it was fun. It was great. Um, and then I, I I relatively quickly learned that I was like, man, I hate touring. Like, I totally <laughs> want to be in the studio. <laughs> That's really funny. And, no, yeah. I, I remember that that this, this is me smiling record. I remember uh, that that record really had some great production. I remember a lot of bands brought that in to to be like, hey, if you heard this, so oh, that's awesome. I I love that record. I love that band. Uh, yeah, I'm really big fans. So let's talk a little bit about what's shaped you. Um, what's a good lesson you've learned from another producer? Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I have one that comes to mind. Um, I'm going to like paraphrase. I'm not even sure if this is exactly what he said or not, but whatever. It's a, it, I'm pretty sure it's what he meant. But uh, one of my favorite guys, this guy, John Bryan. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. The best. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And um, I remember him saying in an interview at some point, uh, he was talking about the difference, I think, between songs. Uh, I may fuck this up, but whatever. The difference between songs and I think like, um, I forget what he called them, like just like pieces of music. But his point was that, you know, a, a song is is the marriage of, of story and music. And, you know, without 
without music, you just have a story. And without the story, you just have an instrumental piece of music. And they're both mm. great in their own right. But but a song is, a song, what it actually is by definition is the two together. And I love that idea. I think that that's, it's, it's really like interesting because one, it, it shows, it puts it in, for one thing, it puts it into perspective that like all of this work we do in the studio in terms of like making the production and the, in the track and everything like, you know, hit hard and, and feel great or whatever is at the end of the day, when people are listening, it's literally only like half of what they're getting. The other half is the, is the story, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, and lots of people, that is what they're, they're grabbing onto. And, and you really do need both, but, uh, more than anything, I love the idea that the music has to be a total, um, a perfect support system for that story. And and I and I and even going one step further, like to me, like the drums and the bass, like that's like that's the rhythm section. It's literally like the train that's like like driving the story. It's like you know, it's move. It's your it's the momentum of it. It's like, all right, it starts like, and now this thing's got to have some energy and some force. And if that's just moving, then cool. Now you can, you can get into the melody and into the, you know, the storyline, but like, man, if those drums and bass are like, if they're just kind of boring and like kind of lumpy, it's like, ah, you're just like, you're just taking away from the, the story. People mm-hmm. are like, it's just going to dr- drag it down. Yeah. Con- conflicting yeah. the emotional narrative. Totally. Yeah. Right. Like, and I, so I love that. And I also, I love, you know, when you're working on the production of a song, like that everything has to work for the song. So like, you know, if you're at the point in the story or in the song where it's supposed to chill out, like everyone's got to chill out, you know? And, um, and if it's, man, if it's like the, the, you know, if it's the max part of, of the story or whatever, like everyone's got to be playing on 11 and it's like, um, so I, yeah, I, I learned, I learned that from that interview. And I, I think about that all the time when working on songs. Yeah, that dude is super, super insightful and amazing. How about one of the best moments you've had in the studio? Yeah, so we were making, when we were making that record, we were at like a big, um, you know, like a nice studio uh, for the drums. And when we did the drums, we cut like um, some scratch vocals for Patrick. And um, and then we eventually moved back to like my, it was the office building studio mm-hmm. that <laughs> I had. I wasn't living there anymore. The fire marshal kicked me out, but I still had the, the recording set up there. And uh, so that's where we, we were doing the overdubs, like mostly like vocals and background vocals. And we when we were doing the scratch vocal at the nice studio, Patrick sang into it's called a you know, but a U forty seven, a really yes. nice, nice, expensive, like ten thousand dollar or something microphone. And and then when we were for scratch vocals, then we were when we were back at my place doing like the real vocals, you know, I don't have that. And I had like a I don't even know what the hell it was, but it was a you know a one thousand dollar microphone at the most. And mm-hmm. and anyway, we were we were cutting the vocals. I think on the first song or two, and and we needed to reference an idea from a scratch vocal, and we were like, "Yeah, let's listen to the scratch for that part or whatever." And we pulled it up, and I think Patrick and Pete and I kind of looked at each other like, "Fuck!" Like that vocal sounds so much better mm-hmm. uh, than this, and we we're just like, "What the hell do we do?" And we didn't have money to like go record it like a nice studio for a week to do these vocals, and so the the studio that I was the like that I had interned at. Um, that we were going to mix the record at. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, Doug. By the way, uh, <laughs> you <hear> this. <laughs> uh, Doug is the owner of Gravity. I had okay. keys to gra- to Gravity, um, mm. which was uh, like in the city, and we were in the yeah. suburbs. And uh, <laughs> and I was like, well, Gravity's got that microphone, and 
you know, I guess we could go, um, we could sneak in in the middle of the night and track your vocals if you're willing to do that. And, but what it meant was this is January. So in Chicago, we're talking like zero degrees outside. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. So anybody, yeah, can appreciate that who lives in this kind of weather. And, and it was like, so we got to drive down at 1 a.m. to the city. It'll take us 40 minutes or whatever. And in the middle of the winter, and then you got to go and you got to sing all your lead vocals between like 2 a.m. and like 5 or 6 a.m. or whatever. Like the, literally the worst conditions you could possibly ask for to give a singer. Wow. Um, and, and I forget, man, I've told this story before. I can't remember why, but we had to, we ended up having to do it. Why was that? To tape? Because like we couldn't sign into the computer because they would know we were there or something like that. Oh my God. And, yeah, it was like, in, anyway, so it was like, and you got to do it to tape. Um, and we got like three tracks because we had like the rest of the instruments on the other tracks from the tracking session. Anyway, so that was the idea. It was like, this is it. If you want to do this, we can do it. I'll sneak us in. And Patrick was like, oh, yeah, let's do it. Done. Like he didn't even flinch. And, mm. and Pete was like, I'm, I'm on board. And so... Man, the three of us, we would like work during the day at my studio on like background vocals or whatever. And we'd get, we'd sleep for a couple hours. We'd get in the car and we'd drive down. And Pete's role was, you know, he was like the cheerleader and there to like keep us awake. I remember he would like, mm. if I was like nodding off, he'd like hit me or whatever. And man, Patrick, that's all the lead vocals for that record were cut like that. Wow. And he f- fucking sang his ass off, man. And he kicked yeah. ass. And he, he didn't complain once. And it's like, I love that story. And, uh, you know, you think of all the times when, you know, singers, rightfully so, singers can be needy and they want, like, you know, the temperature's got to be perfect and it's got to be between this hour and this hour and this. And, and like, man, none of that. Uh, And I was really proud of of that. So that was a fun moment for me. It It was a fun time. It was, man, it was a fun record to make. And, like, you know, we were, we were all, um, I always say, like, we, we were all just, like, on, you know, on, like, on, like, firing on all cylinders, I guess you would say. Like, we were all just so excited. I mean, how could mm-hmm. you not be, you know? Totally. Like, um, but uh, that energy was, uh, it, it was, it was infectious. And, and even, I'll, last thing I'll tell now that you got me on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. You go, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, Pete, uh, Pete will get a kick out of this probably. But, like, when we did the first three songs, um, which were, like, they went on the record as is. Like we did these like demos. I guess we call them demos, but we literally never changed anything. We didn't remix them or anything. Um, and and one of them is like on Rock Band to this day. I I was lucky ten years later when the Rock Band called that I still had the tapes for that wow. stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I mean, that's really a big, lucky. big. That was a big problem. I remember uh, with a. With, I'll bet. Uh, I think that the bad side project taped over the twenty four track and. Uh, yeah. Right. Finding yeah. who has the hard drive now is going to be totally, a- absolutely, man. I mean, um, but yeah, so when we did those, uh, when we did those three songs, uh, the band left on like a little like one week or like long weekend tour or something like that. And, and I drove home from Madison, from Butch's studio, from Smart, uh, which was like a two hour drive. And I got in the car and I put on the, the CD of the three songs we had done. And I, I was listening in my car and I'm, I was thinking to myself, I, I was like, man, I was like, this is like. I think this is actually good. I was like, this is like really, this sounds real. <laughs> and I, mm-hmm. I called Pete, I called Pete at that point, And I was like, Hey Pete, I was like, 
are you guys doing? He's like, oh, we're good. You know, we're in the van, whatever. And I was like, hey, man, I was like, I'm listening to those songs we just did uh, last week. And I was like, I, th- I really think you have something here. I was like, I, th- I think this is like, like real. And he kind of was laughing. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, good. He's like, he's like, I hope so. You know? <laughs> and um, yeah. Yeah. So it was pretty funny, man. Um, That's really rad and, and pr- pretty amazing to think contextually about what that, that did for that record. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. How about the opposite? What's a really bad moment and what you learned from it? There was, when I was interning at Gravity, there was an outside producer that came in on a session um, and he brought in this band and, and I was like, I guess the intern assistant or whatever. He was making like a three song thing for these guys and I think it was like, you know, this is like 2001 maybe. And I think, and it was like in the heyday of what I pictured the LA recording scene to be like on these massive budget records where like every, you know, money is of of no concern and everything is like edited to like an insane amount and looked over and combed over. And anyway, he did that with this record. Like um, I watched him like meticulously cut every last little thing of every last little thing. And to me, I just remember watching it thinking like, man, this sucks. Like, this is like, I don't, this is everything, the opposite of everything that I'm interested in, in terms of like music making. And Mm. like, there was, I just remember thinking like, man, this like, this just sucks. Like, if this is what record making is like, I don't want anything to do with it. And I knew it wasn't, but yeah. And so, uh, yeah, man, somewhere along the way, He fired me. I think it's the only thing I've ever been fired gig I've ever been fired from. And because I think I like made a, I don't know, like some comment about like he was editing something and doing it like a way that seemed like it was taking him three times as long as I had to. But yeah. And so I learned from that that, uh, well, yeah, that, that thing finished. And I remember hearing it and I still hated it. Um, the, the guys in the band were super nice. But yeah, none of it resonated with me. And I definitely learned that that was what not to do for me and and man even funnier was like i think like a year and a half later i was up at i did a lot of work at this studio called smart studios um yeah which was, yeah owned by butch vig so a lot of people know it for that um as they should <laughs> the great smart and and i was there i did a lot of stuff there and the studio manager came in to the studio uh with this like cd and this like letter and he's like hey man check this out this this guy this producer sent like a demo reel asking for work. Like he was like sending the studio, like a CD trying to get work. And he's like, man, the first track is like, it was like this bad, like new age jazz thing, or we didn't like it or whatever. And I looked at it and it was that producer. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so I was like, okay, yeah, that I I still feel okay about hating that process. So yeah, I I learned, I learned what not to do. I think on that, you know, that's just as important as what to do for sure. Yeah, definitely. So let's get into your taste in music. What's a perfect record someone else has made? What about it makes it perfect? I mean, I've, I've always considered uh, When the Pawn, uh, which is Fiona mm-hmm. Apple's second, yeah, second record uh, to be a, a perfect record. Um, I, I mean, I, I just love it. You know, I, to me, it's like, it's, uh, it's one of many. I'm sure I could, you know, like all of us name uh, too many. But uh, yeah, that one just like... Um, it just like incorporates everything I, I love. It's, you know, um, 
the songs are incredible. The focus is incredible. The the feel is amazing. The production is is beyond. The performances are it 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 just hits me the right way. You know, every time it's just satisfying. I'm right there with you. It's 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 always it's always been one of those most amazing sounding records. I always thought it was funny is like you know like reading Gear Sluts at the time is like everybody would complain about the distortion on the vocal because they were so used to like the pristineness, and that's when it started to introduce like character to like pop performances and somebody playing with a piano that there could actually be this thing called character on it. If they're a pop musician, it's like, <laughs> it's so funny to think about now, but like in a way, like a lot of people didn't consider that record perfect because of that. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I've heard things like that too, which is funny. I mean, yeah, isn't that, that's weird. It's so weird. Oh, I, um, I, 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 I think the gear slots thread had like a thousand comments and it was like ridiculous. So it's like, are, are you people kidding me? <laughs> Yeah. Wow. That's wild. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and I get it. Different strokes for different folks. But like, um, man, one thing I, I read in an interview about that that I loved um, was that uh, so John Bryan, of course, as you know, uh, but for everybody else, uh, he produced that. And um, I was uh, I read that uh, this was a interview with Rich Costi, the yes. engineer on it. Um and Rich said that John came to him and, and said, I, you know, I, I basically want to do everything backwards, like opposite on this record. Like I want to, I want to, I want to record drums in the control room uh, with two microphones. And I want to record a guitar amp in the live room with six microphones. And huh. uh, yeah. And he, and he goes, I want to eat steak for breakfast and I want to eat eggs for dinner. And, and he, and he goes, but more specifically, uh, I, I, at least he said that, Whenever possible, which I think was most of that record, he had Fiona do the piano and the vocals first. That was yes. the first thing to go down. Yeah, I heard that too, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I heard um, in only a click when absolutely necessary. Hmm. And, and then, you know, he was going to build the production, of course, around the song, which totally makes sense, but yeah. it's hard to, it's hard to do. And that drums were, generally speaking, the last thing to go and uh, you know as a drummer i'm such a fan of that like it, it has all the feel but it's like it's such a musical like um drum arrangement and i remember matt chamberlain the drummer saying that was a big reason why because he was he was playing to the finished songs uh instead of the opposite you know which yeah. is normally the drums drums go first and maybe your singer's willing to give you like a a, a a version of what the chorus feels like or something you know well i i guess I, that makes so much sense too because like the drums are so adventurous on the record but if everything's done there's never that argument which is the most common argument during drums which is i think you're overplaying this is too much you know if it's too right. much if everything else is done and you're last totally i love that and that totally is the common thing like i don't know if that's gonna fly like yep. and like no man just trust me i totally know like <laughs> i don't know if i should i don't know if i should trust the drummer <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know if i should trust the fact that you're just trying to make everybody think you're the second coming of travis barker mm. <laughs> mm. <Totally. laughs> that's great give me three of your favorite producers okay well yeah starting john bryan would mm -hmm. be one we just talked about him uh yeah, two others. Man, love so many. Um, I guess currently the the two others would be um, Nigel Godrich. You know, uh, he can do no wrong in my book. And uh, third would be definitely right now Danger Mouse. Mm. Um, and I shouldn't even. I mean, right now meaning not like literally meaning exactly what he's releasing right now, but meaning like I, I'm so in love with 
so much of his stuff. I just can't get enough of it. Yeah. Very cool. So give me five records in your musical growth that had a big impact over the years. Well, yeah. Okay. So we just talked about when the pond, that was one, Mm -hmm. um, and no, in no real order. Gorilla's plastic beach was a game changer for me. Yeah. I mean, I, that just redefined like what, uh, it was just like one of those records was like, Holy shit. Like you can do all that. Like, um, that's amazing. (laughs) And yeah, everything about it. I, I, I love Let's see other big game changers. Well, I guess going with the Nigel thing, um, pretty much any Radiohead record, but um, I can specifically remember Kid A, even though the first time or the first few times I heard Kid A, I, I not only didn't like it or get it, I was like, what is this garbage? And yeah, I, like it didn't like make any sense to me at all for some reason. And then... Um, and then one night I, I, I came home after like working on a record and I like uh, lied down on the couch and put it on, maybe had something else going on. Uh, but like I, uh, I listened to that and it was like, boom, like it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, this is it changed everything for me. I was like, holy shit. Again, it was like one of those things where it's like it it changed the landscape of like I didn't even know you could do those things, you know, totally. like um and yeah, so that would be one. Um, well, yeah, Abbey Road, of course. Um, you know, from a song, from an everything standpoint, is just man, it's just like unmatched. Beck, uh, almost any Beck record, but mm. again, speci- specifically Midnight Vultures. I remember. Yeah, same for me. When I heard, is that right? Yeah, it's yeah, I like, love that record. It's so good, man. And it was the same thing where it's like, shit, you can do this. Like this is like so. And like, yeah, it's just one of those things where it kind of broke down all barriers for me. And I never heard anything like that before. And coupled with the songs and have yeah, ever, I guess. Have you ever read like oh, the, the the idea behind the production too? That if like he'd be like, all right, this part needs to sound classy, they'd put like a bunch of fine china around the guitar amp, like <laughs> just like no. really, really. So apparently, like you know, they took a long time recording that in a house, so they would really get like that emotional though with it that like the idea was like this is going to be the ultimate buffet of weird things put together emotionally but we're going to reinforce wow. that with everything and another <laughs> I, one i did not know that another one apparently that uh apparently what he wanted to do that was different on that record is he wanted to have all the lyrics at least on a he demoed all the lyrics to an mc505 and then wanted to build around that oh i didn't know that either that's awesome god that's so cool. I mean, yeah. I yeah, like I feel like when you when you hear a record like that, you have to believe that in the making, nothing about it was probably normal. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, um, yeah, like because how would you get to? Because the record is anything but normal. But like, yeah. um, and I don't know how many I say, but the last one I'll I'll give you only because I think it was a big one. This is going all the way back, but like when I first got my driver's license, um, I remember in my brother's car. Uh, bad religion no control was a nice. huge one for me i i and to this day like when i go running i still put on that record and it energizes me just as much as it did back then um yeah man there's like an infectiousness and like a an energy from that record that is just like uh, just it's so satisfying to me <laughs> that's rad um how about the record that's inspired you the most in recent times I think it came out maybe like six years ago, or I'm not sure when, but I only got, I really only got into it about a year or so ago. It's a record called Swim by the band Caribou. Um, mm. 
And yeah, yeah, it's just one of those records again where it's uh, I was like, man, you can do that. And like and yeah, it's like infectious. I, I it just totally like um, I just I I haven't been able to put it down for about a year now. I've I can't count how many times I've listened to it. Uh, but but yeah, I don't know how new. I mean, I, th- I think it came out maybe six years ago or so. It sounds sounds right. It's always one of those records that I'm like, people recommend it, and I'm like, I should listen to that. I think today's going to be the day now. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, for whatever it's worth, I mean, I, I, I love it. And um, yeah, I, it's great. I think it's really cool. So the last question is, is uh, Plug Away, what have you been working on? Oh, um, well, let's see. This week, um, and actually over the last like few weeks, um, I've been doing, um, I'm mixing a record and doing some recording, but, oh, sorry. I'm mixing a record for a friend of mine. Uh, his name is uh, Matt Walker and his, uh, it's, it's called Of A Thousand Faces. Um, but Matt is, uh, Matt's great. He's a drummer um, and a songwriter and, and you know, multi-instrumentalist, but um, he's, he's, I think, mostly well-known. He's been Morrissey's drummer for the last, oh, wow. like, yeah, I think like nine years or something like that. Um, uh, yeah, he's played with like a bunch of uh, great people. Like, I mean, he, uh, he got like, I think is really like well-known start when he took over for Jimmy Chamberlain for the Smashing Pumpkins when oh, wow. he left the Pumpkins, like at the height of their career and played with the yeah. Pumpkins for a few years. And anyway, he's played with a bunch of people, but yeah, so um, he's local. He's a um, good friend of mine and I've been making his record and it's, it's really cool. Cause it's like, he doesn't sing, but he writes everything and every song is a different singer, at least so far. It's a different singer that he gets. It's like one of his friends. Um, and, so far, there've been uh, we've had some like really cool singers, and um, I think there's a few tracks that are I know there's a couple tracks that are released, and then you know he's doing the thing where I think he releases one like every month or so, and and then there are like remixes and videos with them. But the next track that's getting I think that's going to be released next. I it sucks. I can't say it, and I'm not trying mm. to be that. No, guy, no, 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 no. It's totally. Yeah. It's a very regular thing on this podcast. There's none of us okay. can talk about anything. Right, yeah. I can't say who it is, but I can say that, man, I spent a ton of time as a kid listening to this guy's voice. Uh, nice. So it was a real treat for me to, to work on it. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm going to be doing that uh, today. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet, that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can be also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at Jesse Cannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.